0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Thank you guys so much. Just have enjoyed the whole weekend. I do want to say that this kind of weather would completely paralyze our city. There would be nothing happening, no school, no church, no No Nothing. Uh, yeah, and you get to you guys. It's like, is is it quite warm enough to swim? I mean, you're you're almost like, I can see that discussion on your face. Do you think we could go to Lake Michigan and would it be would it be warm enough to get in the water? Uh, that's one of the coldest experiences I've ever had. I was here in Michigan in the winter, and they took me over to is it Holland right there on the the coast, and we went to one of those beautiful lighthouses and and walked out onto the beach, and uh, we I was with several uh, team members and. And the wind coming off Lake Michigan almost just froze me in my spot, just icicles forming on my beard. And I look over at uh, one of my team members, Asha, She she's taking off her shoes and, and her socks and rolling up her pants to her knees. And, and it's you know it's it gotten really cold, but it's not cold enough for it to be frozen yet. It hasn't been cold enough long enough for it to be frozen, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and she she wades out in the water, and I thought, this is the last I'm going to see of her. It's just, uh, so you guys, are, are you? I don't know, is it three months of the year that it's really pretty kind of like this? Yeah, we have that in the summer. It's just three months of like it's, you know, 100 degrees or more every day where the low is like 98 degrees, where the pavement radiates heat off the ground after dark. You just feel like you're in a convection oven, you know, for three months. And my wife Nancy and I, will look at each other about every August where you're, you know, you're a good month and a half, two months into this, and, and you'll, we'll look at each other and say, why, do, why don't we live in Michigan? So I'm glad to be here, but I, I want to arrange my future trips during the summer. Surely <laughs> we can coordinate that. I mean, you do like me, right? Get me out of that heat. Anyway, there you go. We can work out that trade. So we've had an amazing time of revival. Uh, Jerry Solis, pastor, Celebrate One Church in Three Rivers. I've been kind of walking in him, off, with him off and on for a number of years. And as he transitioned and planted that church, uh, and has just done an amazing job pastoring that. And I've watched him pursue revival in the kingdom and the Holy Spirit and in his life and in his congregation. But he's kind of just on an island, you know, doing it on his own without any local connection of people that would, could add momentum to what he's called to do and, and where he could do it in relationship with some other churches. And so connecting him with you, Cameron, has been huge for him. I'm just so thankful. To be part of our network globally is awesome, but to have someone right up the road that's part of that network has been a huge blessing. So I'm just grateful. Privileged to be here. I had an amazing time in the early service. I'm going to attempt to preach the same message, so brace yourselves. Uh, if you want to turn to uh, Ephesians 4, that's where I'll start in just a minute. Here, here's my target. Uh, I am a big uh, pursuer of divine encounter. I, I want people to, you know, I don't want them to read in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3 where it says, we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, I don't want that just to be a nice verse. I want it to be a way of life, that we are beholders of glory and we're people who in that encounter with glory are being transformed by that glory. That's what I want. And, and, I, and I love when that gets messy. You know, I was in a church for a long time as a pastor on staff the great, amazing church, but one that was uncomfortable with the messy. You know, sometimes God touches you and you can get emotional. Sometimes God touches you and it's not just emotional, it's actually physical. Where, you know, people shake and laugh and fall down and cry and weep and, uh, you know, I've seen some mess. I've, I've tried to preach with all that going on around me. You know, just this, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about messy you know people my, my wife now you know god touches me and and i can just kind of you know and I'll, I'll i'll twitch a little bit and but nothing too dramatic but it's like my wife we Nancy we've been married for uh, coming up on 23 years and it's like god sticks her tongue in a light socket i mean it just she just gets electrocuted we use the term blasted and uh and i don't know why she responds a little different than me and I, i'm not looking to measure the level of drama in the mess, but I do just love God's touch, no matter how messy it is. I just love that. I I welcome that. But in a, a stream of church life that would emphasize revival in that way, that would look for the encounter with God and welcome the mess it's very, very easy to focus on the manifestations of that, 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 we, that we, what we make it about is the laughing and crying and falling down. And I don't want to minimize that. I love that. I want more of it, not less. But there's a context to understand what that's for, that if you don't understand the context, you'll likely miss the point entirely because it really isn't about did you fall down it's about when you got up again did you love better and I want to really show you that in the scripture in a way that what I hope is that you'll never be able to see revival disconnected from relationships again the purpose of revival is to empower you to do relationships well so true revival is not going to just result in dramatic meetings. It's going to result in healthy marriages, Amen. healthy parenting, healthy families, healthy employee-employer relationships, healthy friendships, healthy community. And if it doesn't, we have to reevaluate, is it revival? That's what I want to unpack today. So we'll start in Ephesians 4. It's a... Missionary kid for a portion of my childhood in Honduras, and they made us memorize this whole chapter, Ephesians four. So uh, I don't have it memorized anymore. So don't ask me to prove that. One point I could mem- I could quote it. So but right now I'm going to read a couple of verses. Uh, verse one: I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. This already reminds me of my mom saying, "You know, I was in labor for 36 hours." <clears throat> You know, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, so I'm urging you, you, know, you're, you need to listen to what I'm saying because how I suffered. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That does not mean quit doing bad stuff and do good stuff. No, this is about relationship. Look what he says next. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All humility, all gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another means you're hard to offend. That's what that means, right? So... (coughs) These things are relationship things. Humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love are not things that you can grow in and demonstrate and express through your life isolated. Right? It's the relationships in your life. It's marriage. It's children. It's friendships. It's community. It's bosses. It's employees. It's, it's peop- other people that you're in connection with that squeeze you and and something comes out of you, right? And Paul is urging us that if we're going to walk in a matter that's in sync with, aligned with, worthy of our calling, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, then when relationships squeeze us, what should come out is humility, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to argue on Facebook. No, that's not what it says. Eager to be right about everything. No, no, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So just ask yourself, when relationships squeeze me, and they do, right, what comes out? Am I walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called? Now, what what I'm about to do is build a scriptural argument, a scriptural basis for understanding that revival is designed to empower you so that when life squeezes you, these are the things that come out. It's not about how much time did you spend on the carpet, although I spend plenty and I like it. But my goal in soaking in God's presence and learning to experience the presence, the touch, the power, the voice of God. We we use so many metaphors to help us understand how he operates, and we sing about a ton of them today, the wind, the fire, (laughs) the, the oil. All these ways that we encounter his touch in our lives are designed to empower us to live life with other people in connection in a healthy way. That's it. And you realize you, you were designed by God for connection. You know what addiction is? Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever known someone who had an addiction. Everybody has known somebody. That, raise your hand if you have. No, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Uh, you know, you can be addicted to really, really obviously a toxic, illegal things that are destructive. But you can be addicted to ministry. It's not just because it in and of itself is bad that makes it an addiction. But you know what an addiction fundamentally is? An addiction is what we do with our pain when we don't know how to process it in the context of healthy relationships with people. We've got pain, and I don't know how to do connection, so I do Addiction. So the answer to addiction isn't behavioral modification. It's teaching people how to connect, how to connect. It's so important. Paul says, listen, guys, I'm in jail. I'm suffering for the gospel. Pay attention to what I'm saying. This matters. I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. There's a way of living life in connection. that's very, very important. Now, he starts here and he says, I therefore. He does that a lot. So we're going to actually have to back up to get the context. What's it there for? He's building a case. So let's back up a little bit and let's read about revival. Verse fourteen. This is one of my favorite revival passages. Want to what? You, revival. Put a sign up on the street. What revival? What does that mean? Here's what a revival is. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. So Paul's praying for you, praying for the Ephesians, right? But this prayer is still echoing in heaven, waiting for it to be answered in my life and in your life. Yeah. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. That according, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that according to the riches of His glory, how rich is He in glory? So that's a pretty high standard. In a manner that is in keeping with the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's revival. (laughs) That, well, how much strength in my spirit does He want to give me? What's the plumb line? What's the measure? According to the riches of His glory, that in that manner, according to that level, Uh, In keeping with that level of richness and glory, he would strengthen you by his spirits in your innermost being. Why, Paul? Why do I need that? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus came to live in my heart when I accepted him. He's writing to believers, right? Why would Paul need to write to believers and tell, him, tell them that he's praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? Doesn't Christ dwell in your hearts through faith? I need to correct Paul's theology. Doesn't he understand that Christ already dwells in my hearts through faith? I've been there, done that, Paul. I don't need that. Or there's more. You know, Jesus isn't some finite substance that you either have or you don't have. He's infinite in his majesty and his glory and his power and his strength. And yes, he already lives in your heart by faith. And Paul is, yes, praying that he will live in your heart by faith. That you will experience more of him. That more of what it means for Christ to dwell in you. Christ in in you, the hope of glory. That you, there would be more in your encounter, your experience of Christ in you by faith. (laughs) Why, Paul? Why do I need that? That you, going on in verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. It's a tree metaphor, plant metaphor, agricultural metaphor, rooted and grounded. The roots of a tree dig down into the soil in order to find their source. So Paul's praying for you that you'd have this strengthening, empowering encounter that is itself an increase in your experience of Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith that would have the effect of the roots of your life stretching out deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil of God's love so that his love is what defines your identity. His love is what defines your significance. The love of God for you is what means, it's, it's the source of I matter. I have significance. It's, it's where my security comes from. It's my identity. I'm not looking to position or attaboys or, or the approval of man or, or worldly achievement or, or financial success or any other kind of secular, worldly thing that's offered to us to say, here's where you can find your identity. Here's where you can find your strength. Here's where you can find your significance. Here's where you can find your security. No, no, God wants to strengthen me in my inner man and increase my experience of Christ dwelling in my heart so that the roots of my life go deeper and deeper and deeper into God's love for me as my source. Rooted and grounded, nothing can move me from it. (laughs) God's love is my source and I will not have another. Rooted and grounded in love. And wherever you're at on that journey, your roots can go deeper. (laughs) That's a good prayer, Paul. (laughs) Why? Why do I need that? that I may have, that you may have, the strength. You're going to have to be strong to get this. To comprehend with all the saints, you'll never get this on your own. You'll only get it in community. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge this rooting and grounding, this experience of Christ in you increasing is going to have the effect of, of increasing your, expanding your revelation of the depths and the lengths and the heights and the width of the love. It's like your roots just keep stretching out and there's more and they stretch out and there's more and they stretch out. And it's this infinite supply of God's love for you that your roots are stretching deep into, and 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 not on your own, but you're in a forest of trees, and everybody's roots are stretching out yeah. together. And together we're beginning to realize, wow, his love is big. Because yeah. we comprehend this with all the saints. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, to know something that you can't know. <laughs> Because two different kinds of knowledge, right? There's the knowledge of stored data, and then there's this kind of knowledge. And Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. That does not mean that he wrote he read a book about her. This is experiential, relational, intimate knowledge. He's praying that you would know the love of Christ in a way that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> This is not knowledge from a book. This is encounter with the author of the book. Paul's praying this, which means that this is God's will for you, that you would know the love of God, experience the love of God, that you'd experience the presence of this one who loves you like crazy more and more and more so that your life becomes completely settled in and defined by his love for you. And that is what strengthens you. That is where your power comes from. Huh? That, why, Paul? Why do I need that? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How much fullness does God have? <laughs> he wants to put all of it in you. All of it in you. How many of you are pretty convinced that that's already been fulfilled and you can just move on? <laughs> I don't even know if I could stand it He would have to strengthen me With great po- power in my inner man To be even handle much more <laughs> So that's what Paul's praying for It's a big deal And if, if you think that you get how big that is Look at what he says next Now to him who is able To do far more abundantly Than all we ask or think uh, There's more There's more There's more, this is revival. When the power of God begins to strengthen you in your inner man in a way that deepens your experience of Christ inside you and the love of Christ in a way that roots you in the love of Christ where his love becomes your source and nothing can move you from it, that's revival. When we talk about filled, filled, more, 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 we're just aligning with that prayer. That God wants to fulfill that prayer. He wants to fill you with the fullness of God in that way. Now, that is the basis for where we started. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, we haven't even talked about the calling yet. We're about to. Right? But I want you to link... In Ephesians 3, we just read about revival, being filled with power, rooted in love, encountering God in a way that transforms us. He's praying that, and then on that basis, he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all patience, with gentleness, (laughs) with humility, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Peace. In other words, to, to live that way is not about somebody teaching you a principle and saying, try real hard to live that way. You're going to need revival to live that way. For you to become the kind of person that when relationship squeezes you, and it will... What comes out of you is humility and patience and gentleness and forbearance. For you to become that person where when life squeezes you, what everyone around you sees is how eager you are to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For you to be that kind of person in relationship with other people, you're going to need to be filled with power. That's the purpose of revival. I agree. This is so good. I need this. Life squeezes me. My worship pastors came to, t- came to us a few months ago and said, can we meet with you? And in the most uh, uh, gentle, gracious, and honoring way possible, they let me know uh, some key ways that I was completely botching it as a leader. <laughs> and they were so right. But that kind of confrontation squeezes you, doesn't it? <laughs> and i'm only telling you this story because it's one of the rare occasions where i got it right where my response was healthy and and it resulted in unity and in restoration and healing of some brokenness and breach in our connection and there and it was very reciprocal not just me but them so just humility and, and a prioritization of connection in some ways that i was just operating with a blind spot and they pointed it out and 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 I'm telling you that if you knew the me that wasn't rooted and grounded in love, other people that might have confronted me in the same way prior to the empowering, rooting, prior to revival, it would have, that kind of squeezing would have produced a very different result. You, You would be amazed at how good I am at needing to be right. And I am so often. Cameron gets it. He understands. You get me, man. Now, let's talk about this calling. I've, I've kind of made the case that the purpose of laughing and shaking and falling down is not laughing and shaking and falling down. That's just a physical, emotional response to God's touch. But the touch of God is not designed to just produce that physical, emotional manifestation. It's designed to increase your experience of presence and the power of God in you so that you can love people. It doesn't say they'll know we're Christians. They'll know us by our manifestations. It says they'll know us by our love. Okay. And so, so I've already linked this idea of revival with relationships, and I hope in a way that you'll, you'll never be able to unsee that. Why is God flopping that guy around on the floor? Because he needs to love better. <laughs> Don't we all? So we watch that with humility and just say, God, more, more, me too. Right. And so uh, I, I now want to touch on this thing called calling and then we'll we'll wrap it up. Now just take me a minute. This is my last point, it's just the main point, so it'll take me a little bit. So I didn't want you to think I'm closing. I'm not closing, so keep keep your keep keep your focus with me. Right. And, and so he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling and he tells us what that looks like but he hasn't told us what the calling is but but if we backed up earlier in Ephesians 3 you'll you'll see in verse 1 he, he starts that with for this reason so we could actually preach the whole book of Ephesians today to get the whole context but we're not going to let me just let me just sum up some of the beginning of of chapter 3 he talks about how God has given him Paul this stewardship of what he refers to as a mystery. A mystery that's been hidden through the ages, but has now been revealed in Christ. Something that was always in God's heart. It's just that his people were blind to it. And now it's been revealed in Christ. And Paul's been, as an apostle, been given the assignment of stewarding that, the revelation of that mystery. And then he's kind enough to tell us what that mystery is because By definition of it being a mystery, we wouldn't know if he didn't tell us. And so he says, here's here's what the mystery is, that the Gentiles have been made fellow heirs with the Jews of God's promises. (laughs) Thank God, because I'm a Gentile. I eat bacon and everything. And so uh, so this is the mystery, that through the ages, it was always in God's heart to make the Gentiles co-heirs, fellow heirs, for there to be one new man. He talks about that in Ephesians 2. It's a huge theme of the book. Now, if, if you're not careful, uh, at least in my cultural context, it's easy just to dismiss that as, wow, that must have been a really big deal to Paul given that he was Jewish, and it must have been a really big deal to the Ephesians given that their congregation was like, you know, a ton of people with a Jewish background and a ton of people that were a Gentile background trying to do life together. And you could see why Paul the Apostle would need to write them about that thing that was very relevant to them, but I'm just going to pass through to something more relevant to me because I'm not really, that's not a big pressing issue in my church. In some churches it still might be, but it's just not in mine. We've got a few people with Jewish background, but they've already sorted through this, and it's not a controversy. (laughs) So you just dismiss it. But something, I think it was the Holy Spirit, kept tugging me back to that. Surely this mystery that's been hidden through the ages that's now revealed in Christ has to be relevant to me. And the Lord showed me something. I just want to explain it to you. I think it'll help you. What I realized was this Jew-Gentile unity, that story, that narrative kind of has a narrative shape that reminds me of a whole lot of the themes and narratives of Scripture, but give you give, tell you what I mean. There haven't always been Jews. Who was the first Jew? Abram. But he wasn't a Jew. I mean, to be a Jew, you got to have a mom who's a Jew. That's how it works. And 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 his mom wasn't a Jew. He was from Ur of the Chaldees. His mom was Chaldean, Iraqi. Yeah. God called him out of Ur of the the Chaldees and from him formed a new nation, a new people, the Jewish people. Love, Love this story. It's so amazing. But I want you to see that at the beginning you didn't have Jews and Gentiles. You just had people. Humans. One. And God pulled out of the one From the one Abram and made two Jews and Gentiles, so that in covenant in Christ the two could become one again. One becomes two, becomes one. And once I see what Paul's referring to here, this mystery, in terms of that narrative a God who creates one and makes them two, or they become two, and then they become one again by covenant. All of a sudden, the entirety of Scripture actually begins to make sense through that filter. Take male, female. God forms Adam from the dust of the ground and breathes into him the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. And it tells us in Genesis 1 that he made them male and female. Right? But he formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And he... There wasn't male and female in the sense of male and female. There's just Adam. There's one and God says that's not good. Mm-hmm. And so how does he create Eve? He actually there's one, but he pulls Eve out of Adam and the one becomes two that they might become one again in covenant. Yeah. It's the same story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> let's take let's take heaven and earth. You, you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and take it very seriously, it's hard to tell the difference between heaven and earth. We can tell the difference because we know the distinction. We're, we're living on the other side of the one becomes two, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he describes this garden and the reality of this garden, and I can relate to some of it, but there's some of it I can't really relate to. I mean, I know what trees look like. We do have a few in Texas. They're scrawny and not very impressive, but we do have some. In eastern Texas, they're better. Where I live, we planted them a few years ago, and we're hoping they survive. You know, it's just, uh, in west Texas, they've never heard of trees. They don't yeah. know. I can't even talk about this. And, and so, uh, <laughs> oh, Cameron, you laugh at my jokes, and I just love that about you. Uh, so you guys have amazing trees. You know what I'm talking about. But I, I know what trees, I've, I've, I've picked fruit off of trees and eaten it. But I've never picked knowledge off of a tree. What kind of tree is that? Because they had one. I've never picked life off of a tree. Picked apples off of a tree. Picked mangoes off of a tree. Picked oranges off of a tree. I have eaten them. But I've never picked life off of a tree. You know? I mean, I have my devotionals. I've got my Bible and my journal and maybe a devotional book I'm reading or something, you know. And God comes and I meet with him. It's very personal. It's very interactive. But God comes and just goes on a walk with him. So is that heaven or earth where you have trees that grow knowledge and life and serpents that talk and God that goes on walks with you? Is it heaven or is it earth? Yes. Huh. They, they, they eat the fruit and, and discover that they're naked. It's like, were they just not paying attention? No, no, and it's Psalm 8, it says, you know, you made a man and you created him a little lower than the Elohim. It says angels in most translations, but Elohim is, is generally, all, all the other times translated just God. So you made him a little lower than Elohim and you crowned him with glory. Crowned, we think of a hat, but crowned, the, the, the Hebrew word just means enveloped, surrounded, clothed. So they, the, the reason they didn't know they were naked before they ate the fruit is that they were clothed. It was just that they were clothed in glory. And they lost their clothes. Oh my gosh, I'm naked. So you have this reality where heaven and earth are one place. But then in Genesis 3, they become two places. Revelation 21 tells us that they're going to become one again. Then I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven to the earth. Adorned as a bride for her husband. A marriage. Creator creation. God, we started, there was this oneness. God breathed into Adam the breath of life. There was this unity, this connection, this oneness. But it got broken in Genesis 3. But by covenant in Christ, by his blood, we become one again. Even it says that we become one spirit with him and we become partakers of the divine nature. Ha! So there's this one becomes two becomes one again theme that isn't just some marginal theme of Scripture. It is actually the story of everything. It is the gospel. Let me read one verse, and I'll finish up. <laughs> Verse 9, Ephesians 3, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery? What mystery? One becomes two, becomes one again. Hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, not just you as an individual, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted expression of who God is might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Real quick, rulers and authorities in heavenly places, that's the principalities and powers that it says that we're wrestling against in Ephesians 6. And, and God could snuff them out with a snap of his fingers, with a wink of his eye. He's not struggling for do I have the power to make them go away and not be a problem anymore. For whatever reason, he has said, you guys sit right there, you that are open rebellion against me in the heavens, and I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to put my manifold wisdom on display in front of you through the church. So then he says to the church, so I've been praying for you. <laughs> that God would strengthen you, that you would know Christ dwelling in your hearts, that you get rooted and grounded in love and get filled with all the fullness of God. Why? So that you can walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What calling? To be the people through whom God puts on display who he is to the principalities and powers. Well, how do we live in alignment with that calling? With all humility, with patience, with gentleness, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The way that you live out relationships is designed to put the multifaceted wisdom of God on display to the principalities and powers. The way that you love, the way that in relationships you express humility and patience and gentleness and forbearance, is the way that God looks at the principalities and powers and said, see the way they're loving? That is who I am. Yeah. And if when relationships squeeze you, something else comes out, then you're a false prophet. <laughs> You, your love for others is a prophetic message to the principalities and powers of who God is, and you're either representing Him correctly or not. Now, that's not—I've—I've realized that message and thought, "Wow, I've been—I've I've been, i have at times in my relationships displayed something that wasn't in alignment with that. I've walked in a manner that wasn't worthy of the calling. Have you? I don't feel shame about that. I don't feel condemnation. I just am appreciative that Paul prayed for me that God would strengthen me with power. (laughs) This is the reason we need revival, because we cannot live in a manner that puts who God is on display to the principalities and powers apart from God in us working through us. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I'll pray pray for you. Huh. Just assume kind of a posture of receiving. I, I like to put my hands out, my palms up. It's just my way of telling the Lord, I'll take whatever you're you're handing out. <laughs> Sometimes helps me to close my eyes, just to focus on Him. Just a a, a posture that's I'm a good receiver posture. Holy Spirit. I pray for every person here that you would strengthen them right now with power in their inner man according to the riches of your glory. God, I pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Lord, increase that dwelling. Increase it right now. Lord, I pray for them that they would get rooted and grounded in love, that even right now, by your Spirit, the roots of their life would plunge deeper into your love, that every other source would fall away, that you would more, right now, more become their source of identity. Security. Significance that their identity would be defined by your love for them, your love for them, your love for them. And as a group right now, as those roots are stretching into the height and depth and width and breadth of your love, that they would begin to know you like they've never known you. And that you would fill them with all of your fullness, more than they can ask or think. Lord, may this church, in the way that it does life, family, community, relationships, friendships, be a constant prophetic voice to the heavenlies that puts your manifold wisdom on display. In Jesus' name, amen.